Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comet, with features on Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Jim Jarmusch interviewed by Amy Taubin, and Maddie Diop's Atlantics by Dennis Lim. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism and subscribe today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Nicholas Rapold, the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. One of the summer's most anticipated films was Midsommar, from filmmaker Ari Aster, who also directed the unforgettable Hereditary. The director joined us last summer for a talk at Film at Lincoln Center, and we were delighted to welcome him back for another Film Comment chat, which drew a packed house. Aster talked with Film Comment mainstay Michael Koreski about Midsommar, working with star Florence Pugh, details on the director's cut, favorite movies such as 45 Years, and more. You can also read about Astor's inspirations in the new issue of Film Comment. Stay tuned for our next Film at Lincoln Center talk on July 23rd, when we'll talk about great filmmaker debuts of the 21st century. And now, let's go to Ari Aster in conversation with Michael Koreski. Welcome. Welcome, Ari. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Thanks for having Um, me. I'm very excited to talk to you about this movie. Uh, I've seen it twice now. I'm actually curious, before we start, how many people have had the opportunity to see the film already? Wow. Okay. (laughs) And not that I should be surprised by that, but I remember we we had a conversation last year when Hereditary came out, and it was it was on the eve of its release, so it was it was people didn't really know too much about it outside of the Sundance screening, and I had asked the same question, and I think very few people had raised their hands, so we really danced around it. I think we probably still may do a little dancing, um, not unlike the film, because um, of people listening on the podcast and all that. But I did want to start at the end if possible. <laughs> um, I think this might be a happy ending. What do you, <laughs> and I'm curious what, what your response is to that. Um, well, um, it is... I don't know. It, it it's designed to be cathartic and it's designed to play as a happy ending. It, I it, it took a long time to uh to get to the right place with the score for that last sequence. Uh and, and there's a ten minute cue that accompanies the final scene of the film. Um and we were really trying to hit the right tone, which was uh I guess we, we were going for like this lushness and this, you know, romance and this like, you know, symphonic quality. And, you know, it, it was just very important that it felt just cathartic. And I think we were going for this like feeling of awe as opposed to a feeling of like horror. And the way that I have been talking about the film and I, I, I'm at the end of a press tour right now and I'm just like, I like absolutely hate myself. Um, <laughs> and so... I'm repeating myself and trying also to like uh, avoid mistakes I've been making um, or things I just regret. Uh, but we won't hold you accountable for anything here. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, I, I, 
I have been describing the film, and I, I, I was doing this before we made the film, as a, a fairy tale. And, um, and you know, in, in many ways, the movie is uh, a contribution to the folk horror subgenre. Um, and for many of the characters, that's what this film is. I mean, for you know, all of the American men and the two British, I'm the two visiting uh, uh, British people, this is a folk horror movie. But for Danny, for the main character, it's a sort of perverse wish fulfillment fantasy. And, uh, and you know, I, I wrote this while I was going through uh, a pretty bad breakup after a, a long-term relationship. And I, I wanted to make a film that, you know, that felt uh, like as big as a breakup feels, you know, like from a distance, if it's happening to someone you know or somebody else, it's like this silly thing and they're gonna get over it and like, you know, just pick yourself up by, by the bootstraps. But when you're in it, it can feel cataclysmic. And so I wanted to, uh, to make a breakup movie that felt as consequential uh, as a breakup feels. Um, and so this is all kind of like, uh, circuitous way of not answering your question, but um, <laughs> but it's designed, I guess, to not really have an answer. Um, and I, I, you know, I, it, if anything, I, I would love for people to feel one way and then an hour later to feel differently. That, that's, that was my experience of it. Um, <laughs> I, I was very upset when I first saw it, and I, was, I think I, was, I saw it on a pretty emotional day. Um, and then the second time I saw it, I, I felt a strange elation, and it sat with me strangely. And it, it got me thinking about like, the great endings in American films, and it felt like this kind of false happy ending or a false unhappy ending is a very like, peculiarly American thing. Like I was thinking about, you know, the great American films that have these sorts of ambiguous endings, like The Shining, or After Hours, perhaps, or um, AI, a film that we've, that we've talked about admiring. Yeah, it's the, the greatest thing ever. <laughs> I mean, they, just leave you, they leave you with this kind of feeling, you, you feel kind of bereft at the end, even if you think that it's resolved, like the narratives are wrapping up, yeah. but you actually come away feeling very kind of sick after. Yeah, and AI is a, <clears throat> is a really fascinating uh, case for me at least because I I remember I saw it uh, what in 2001 is that when it came out uh, um, and I was I, what I would have been 15 and I was on like a you know an anti Spielberg kick which is a very like it, it's a it, it's a trap I think you get into when you're young and then you <laughs> get older and it's like oh actually Spielberg's the greatest ever. Um, <laughs> And it's uh, a phase. That, that's where I stand now. Spielberg is just as, as good as it gets. Um, and that film, I remember, you know, walking out and I was like, Ugh, it's like this, it's such a hokey ending and he does the Spielberg thing and it's so saccharine. And I returned to it maybe 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more than 10 years ago. And uh, I, it was like the most haunting thing I had ever seen. And it's, it's like, it's, almost feels evil. It's, you know, like he's given one last day with his mother, but it's not his mother. It's been like centuries since his mother died. And it's, and it's this like, this false, like clone of his mother who can only stay alive for one day, which, you know, like makes no sense, but it's also, it's perfect. And then, mm -hmm. and, and so he, 
he holds on to that memory for eternity with like this, but it's a false memory and she's false, but he's false too. And it could, it's like enough to make you sick, but it's, it's really, really, that, that for me is one of the great endings ever. Films where it's impossible to know how to feel. I feel like that's what you're specializing in right now with Hereditary and now this. And it's really kind of um, amazing to see the similarities between the two films, Um, the way that they kind of are reliant on this externalization of inner torment and of grief. Um, When you're setting about to write in the first draft and you're just writing these scripts, are you are you thinking of, about things like that or does it really just kind of come out of you? Because it feels like it comes from a, like a very deep well of anger or despair. Both films. I mean, <laughs> and I mean, and I'm saying, I mean that as a compliment. When you watch a film made by someone who's just making a film because they want to make a cool film, you can tell the difference between someone who's really feeling the things they're putting up on screen. And it's very hard to also represent those things. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, there's enough spare to, or there's enough despair to go around. I, I, I've, I've plenty left. Um, but it's, I'm just dipping my toe in the, in the, in the pool of, of despair. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I see both films as kind of being intuitive in a way. Like I, I kind of, uh, they kind of spilled out of me. I, I did a lot of, I guess, like outlining for both when I was writing them. Um, and I wrote them both like back to back. I've, I've, I, I have like 10 screenplays lying around that I'm ready to, you know, I don't want to make all of them anymore, but, but, I, but I want to make some of them still. Um, and, uh, and those I, 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 I wrote pretty, pretty close to each other. And I think I had extinguished some stuff with Hereditary, but there was some left over of like what I was, I, 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 I wasn't quite aware of it while I was writing it or even as I was like preparing the film. And then it's embarrassing cause you watch it and you know, it's usually like in the editing room when you're like really picking it apart and that's, and you realize like, Oh God, like this is like, I'm just going down the same, uh, the same alley with this one. Um, uh, but I don't know. We, we, we've talked about this before and I talked about it a lot when I was, uh, when I was, uh, taking hereditary around, but just, I, I really love melodrama and I, I feel like there's this tradition in melodrama and I'm, 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 I'm sure I'm repeating myself, but it, maybe it bears repeating in my case, because I, 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 I feel that I'm always trying to like match what's going on inside of the characters, which is usually what's going on inside of me, um, with the, the form of the film like you know with like to have to have the film be as big or painful or you know uh apocalyptic as as whatever the person at the heart of the story is is feeling um so you do feel like there's a in each film is there a character that you're identifying the most with or do you kind of spread it out amongst characters because in and yeah. i can see that with hereditary in this film it seems like the heart is really with danny yeah well with hereditary i was kind of spread all over but a lot of me was in Peter and a lot of me was in Annie in this film which is which are the Alex Wolf and Tony Collette characters uh in this film I really put a lot of myself into Danny um but I've been in Christian's position I you know I I wanted Christian to be at least relatable but we are so aligned with Danny that there's almost no hope of like really siding with the guy. Um, 
And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm forgetting what question I'm well, answering now. Well, there's identification with identification with the characters. And right. I mean, Danny, her, Danny feels like, um, the, just the real emotional center of the film. It's actually hard to, to, um, get a handle on any of the guys. Yeah. Whereas she's very emotionally relatable throughout the film. Um, and there's something, cause you were, it's funny, you were talking about melodrama often in even some of the great melodramas, there's, there's kind of like a generalness to, to the way that people react and the way people talk about things. Whereas there's a lot of intricacy in this script about the way people actually communicate or don't communicate and fight. And, um, I, I was really, the scene that I really can't stop thinking about, cause it's just, ref, it reflects so many things that I've been through is when she finds out that he has decided to go t- to Sweden and hasn't told her, which is just, it's so insane. <laughs> Um, not only because she's been through this, but that's just a thing you don't do in a relationship. But then the way that she wants him to stay in the room and finish the conversation with him, because the worst thing would be if he were to leave. He's going to leave, and she's been through so much, she just needs him in the room. Like Things like that make, make it seem like you've really f- deeply felt this, this relationship, and that it's reflective of something you've really been through. Um, without having to yeah. <laughs> go too much into your personal history. No, yeah. Uh, I'm just I'm just working out the most cryptic answer I can give. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, I, that, well, you know, so r- writing the script w- was therapeutic. Um, like, you know, what I would otherwise be doing. Like, I, I, if I weren't writing the script, I would have been in a room just like, you know, kind of navigating the ruins of, you know, a a failed relationship. But then you sort of, yeah, but this gave me the opportunity to sort of work it out, well, publicly, I guess. But I didn't, at at the time, it was just therapeutic. And um, yeah, I mean, I I, I can also see how... um, yeah, I don't want to push you into an uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. place. I realized that might have been pushing you to an uncomfortable place. Um, I did. There was one other thing I wanted to bring up uh, in terms of just the depiction of a relationship. We've been talking lately also about this movie, Forty Five Years, yeah. the Andrew Hay film with Charlotte Rampling. Um, I discovered that it's also a favorite film of yours, and there's the way that you depict the end of a young relationship. I found interesting parallels in the way that film depicts um, the end of a long relationship. And sometimes it's the same communication problems that go on. I mean, and that movie also has like a great central metaphorical conceit. So why is that one of your favorite films? Well, yeah, so I I saw that film for the first time at uh, AFI Fest. um, And I was like so floored. I didn't really know what to do. I it, uh, it it has this it has this like perfect cut to black at the end, like there there there's a long list of like great you know cuts to black, and that for me is like maybe the one. And um, I uh, um, I I I just like totally broke down when that happened. It cut to black, and I like just like broke down crying. And I went to see it again a couple days later, and the same thing happened. And you know that is like an exquisitely quiet movie. It's just, it's so quiet. And it's so quiet that it like, it, it encourages the viewer to, I guess, like lean in towards it. So that at the end, like this, like it's, there's this silent moment and it's a gesture and, an, and it's an expression on a person's face. But because you are so drawn in or because I, at least I was so drawn in, like it was just like beyond devastating. 
you know, if, if people haven't seen the film, um, you, you should. It's about, uh, it's, it, it stars uh, Charlotte Rampling and Tom Courtney, um, which is a, like a brilliant pairing, um, as like a happy couple. They're, they're happy and they're comfortable and it's like they have a great life. Um, and one day the, the, the husband finds out that his lover before he married his wife 50 years ago, uh, she she fell into um, she fell in in they, they were uh, in the Swiss Alps I think and and she fell into the ice and she and she's just been un, like they just found her corpse and she's been perfectly preserved in ice and so they're about to celebrate their forty uh, fifth anniversary like in, in a very public way with all of their friends and family which is already a nightmare uh, to to consider and then um, and he is moving into like uh just like reveries and and uh and he becomes like haunted by this woman and it, it's it's sort of a ghost story and all of a sudden this relationship that she thought she knew um and this like life that she thought she knew is is thrown into question for her because she's seeing him fall into question um and uh or fall into questioning and um and just you you see like everything it's all in her eyes the whole movie is like in her eyes and in the way they interact and these little you know it it takes place over a week over the course of a week it's seven days and you just see the routine and how the routine is changing in these minute ways um and then at the end they're at the at the um uh, at at the 45th anniversary, and this is just after she's confronted him, saying like we are go we're going back to normal, like we are like, you know, this is over. And of course, he falls in line with that, but it's too late for her, and now she's she can't trust anything. Uh, and when she confronts him, it's 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 in the evening, and the film is is, is shot very naturalistically, but outside there's this blue light, uh, it's it's like twilight, and the blue light is kind of artificial. It's very weird, it's the first time in the film that it feels a little, that there's some artifice to the film, um, and it's very subtle. And then um, and then at the end, the next day, he has, he's woken up and he's, he's like on his best behavior and he's really trying, and now she really doesn't know what to trust. And they go, they go to this, you know, this, uh, anniversary party and she's you know and he makes a speech and it's very beautiful but all but it's like dense with meaning with 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 like so many me like possible meanings um and they go up to dance this dance to smoke gets in your eyes by the platters right mm -hmm. um and uh and the light that blue light has come back and they're dancing in this blue light that is like so surreal and strange and it feels like a dream and at the end of the song, she just like, you know, she pulls her hand away from him and you see in her eyes that this like, that she's been holding up this, uh, this uh, illusion um, like for the whole movie and it just has crashed down on her. Um, she can't hold it up anymore and you just, and it's just in her face and then you cut to black and it's the, it's the greatest. It only works because of how quiet the whole film is, that this last moment feels staggering. Um, it's, 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 it's kind of a breakup movie, but it is, it's, it's ambiguous yeah. whether it is or not. The movie, again, the movie is 45 years for those who haven't seen it. It's a really powerful film. It, it makes me want to ask, because you talk about how everything is in the, you know, in the face of the actress, about your work with uh, Florence Pugh, 
who is really extraordinary in this film. And that's, that's I would say, two back-to-back great performances uh, from your lead actresses with Tony Collette and now Florence Pugh. Um, what was, I mean, how did you work with someone to get to that place of grief? I mean, I just really, it was, it was just radiating off the screen from the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, Florence is really an amazing actress. And um, by the way, sorry, I just realized that I gave a synopsis for that whole movie. Like, I, <laughs> I just, uh, I, no. I, I was like trying to listen to your question. I, I did hear it, but I was just thinking like, what the fuck was that? Um, <laughs> I uh, uh, I really recommend it. I hope I, I I hope that I've intrigued anybody who hasn't seen the film to see it. It's a great. Just, it like, really just, is a great film. Um, Jesus, uh, <laughs> this is. I, I've been doing press all day, and so like I just forgot how to uh, behave. Um, but uh, but uh, you'll have to put a warning on the podcasts. Uh, <laughs> no, you're showing your cinephilia, your right. deep love for movies. And my deep love of just like synopsizing and like just ex- explaining stories to people. Um, so anyway, Florence Pugh, uh, yeah, she's, she's really remarkable. I had a really strong feeling about her when I saw Lady Macbeth and I was already like kind of in the place of thinking about who might be able to, uh, do this. Um, and, uh, and she was at the top of our list and, and the casting, like the casting process was long. Uh, a lot of, a lot of really wonderful actresses read for it and she couldn't read for it because she was, uh, she was shooting Park Chan-wook's uh, miniseries, uh, bu- 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 uh, Little Drummer Girl. And, uh, and, uh, and we just kind of were holding off on making a decision about anybody because we wanted her to read and, and there was just a feeling about her that was kind of nagging and and ultimately you know we you know we realized that was for a reason and and we we cast her and and she's very different from Danny in in almost every way um she's like hyper confident supernaturally confident um and uh i and there was something exciting too after I, having seen Lady Macbeth where she plays somebody who's so poised and so calculating, playing somebody who's so like emotionally naked. But yeah, I mean, she's, she's really remarkable. And um, just, and just a little about, about the working with the other actors, there's, there seems to be kind of like each one has, it comes with like a kind of a long history of their character and then they're kind of just let loose. Um, and I do know that there is, a longer cut of this film, um, which which I'm very intrigued by, I have to say, um, is a lot. Can you talk at all about some of what this extra footage is, and if it's more about the characters before they get there, or is it actually more about the the, the rituals at at the village? There's a little bit more before they get there, but. It, most of it is in Horga, and there are more rituals. There are a few more sort of genre things, but yeah, the original cut was almost four hours, uh, and it's I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it. Um, People are laughing because they want a, lo- a four-hour version. <laughs> oh boy. Um, uh, well, I, 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 I'm putting together an extended cut now. It won't be, it won't be that long, but it, but it might be around three hours. And, uh, there's a lot more relationship stuff. You know, there's like a big argument between Danny and Christian and 
she apologizes after, <laughs> you know? Oh, <laughs> There's plenty of, it's, it's, it's all kind of designed to like, to, uh, to uh, really make you want that ending. Um, <laughs> so. I think we already did. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, in, in, in the way that, you know, kind of, well, and there's also actually a lot more between the guys. I think uh, one thing I was sad about with this cut, although I, I do, I'm, I'm very happy with this cut, and I think the pacing in the current cut is, is the best that it's ever been. Um, but one thing I was sad to lose was that there's a lot between the guys um, that, not so much all the guys, but Josh and Christian, their rivalry is more fleshed out and, um, and I, I guess it's a slightly less reductive film as far as they're concerned, but there is something, it, it's still like deliberately re, um, reductive in a way, because they are foils to Danny. And the, that's- the, the, the Josh Christian subplot, by the way, is the, is the favorite subplot of all of my academic friends. <laughs> There's <laughs> a lot like, more of a it. A lot of yeah. shocking things happen, but can you believe he's stealing his thesis? Like they just <laughs> cannot believe it. I, there, there's actually in their in their confrontation scene. There's one that there's like an extended version of of Josh yelling at Christian that I I kind of regret cutting down, where Josh just screams like, "You didn't even know how to use JSTOR until I taught you," <laughs> um, and so so that'll be in the uh, th- that'll be in the extended cut because you know and you know for me this is like kind of. If it's a horror film, it's it's an existential horror film, and nothing reflects the meaninglessness of life more than two people fighting over a thesis. <laughs> and so that's <laughs> so the more the better for me, as far as I'm concerned. But and I do want to talk about um, some of the more horrific things in the violence. But before I do, I also want to say that nothing in the movie upsets me more. Nothing makes me hide my eyes more than when he, uh, when Danny's says that it's her fault that he forgot her birthday. Ugh. It's a killer. No, 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 it's my fault. I should have reminded you. Oh, my God. It's, it's, it's rough. I, where, I mean, I, the, the sick mind wrote that. <laughs> but you don't have to respond to that. Um, but... But in terms of, um, I do want to talk a little bit about how some of the more shocking images in Hereditary and Midsummer, um, Midsommar, how they sort sort of skirt the line between a kind of absurdity, um, you know, the big shocking, I'm not going to say it because there are people who have not seen Hereditary, but the big shocking thing that happens in the car in Hereditary, and I would say the thing that happens in Midsummer with the mallets are almost like these... <laughs> extreme bordering on Looney Tunes versions of, of gore. And I'm wondering, I mean, are you aware, you must be when you're making <laughs> of how to finally toe that line because it could go too far in one direction or the other and they're just so perfectly balanced. Thank you, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure some people feel that it crosses a line. I, but I don't know, I mean, it's all, I mean, you just kind of go by instinct, really. You're going by your gut. You know, for me, in this film, what's more interesting about that scene, and I, I've, I don't want to be too uh, spoilery, but um, is that that's sort of everything in this film. Once you get to Horga, is designed to hopefully kind of play in two ways. Uh, one that could be seen as like 
you know, a horror movie spectacle where, you know, somebody witnesses something awful. Um, or it could be seen as like Danny being forced to confront something that she's been looking away from and then being presented with like a different way of viewing that thing uh, that will maybe allow her to process it better. And I do see, uh, I do see, well, I see the community in two ways. Like I really wanted um, Horga to feel like a real place with a real history and a very rich sense of tradition. And I want you to really like, I want it to feel like a lived in place. And at the same time, and I've talked about this, I'm repeating myself, but I want it to play, maybe if you ever watch it a second time, um, or even maybe at, as you're watching it, you start to sense this, that they are like here strictly to fulfill her needs and that they are almost like a manifestation of her will. In that way, I really see the film as a fairy tale as well. Um, but uh, I guess when it comes to the gore, like the the images of like body horror, or I, 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 if anything, certainly in Hereditary with going back to I guess like the scene of the accident the next morning or what we do here, it's that these are images that are making like very like uh, strong consequential impacts on, on the characters. And I want to like, I, I, I don't want that to be something that people understand like on an intellectual level or like, you know, like they get it. Like, you know, I, like I, 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 I want it to be something that is like felt and like, so that just, if, if anything, to just bring you closer to that character's experience. So you're, the, you're hearing Tony Collette scream, you know, in, you know, total emotional agony, but then you're seeing, you know, the source of that. And hopefully you're, you're feeling it on, on, on some level. Yeah, it's, there, there's no sense of off-screen terror, which is a which is a tactic that a lot of filmmakers have. It can be very effective. But if you don't see the things that you necessarily see, then you can't feel what the characters are feeling. And it's interesting that some of the and some of the graphic things that are terrible things that happen to characters that do happen off-screen aren't necessarily being seen by other people. And that's that makes sense. And we wouldn't see it. Like when I saw the you know I love the I love the joke about skin the fool, um, and that happens but you don't necessarily see that on screen because it's actually it's the it's the after effect that right. characters see that's it so it actually stays really attached to point of view that's really interesting yeah it's it's i don't know it's 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 sort of a game of like withholding in certain places and then like indulging in others and i don't know um i also wanted to you just now you were talking about horga you know that you were you were so meticulous about it and you wanted to make it seem like a real place um, with its own rich tradition. What kind of research did you do to make that possible? I mean, this is not really your, it's not your background. <laughs> you don't come no. from a place like that. Um, well, I, I did a lot of research into, uh, you know, Swedish midsummer traditions and a lot of research into German and English midsummer traditions. Um, I uh, I looked into Swedish folklore, uh, learned the runic alphabet, and then we built our own language um, called the affect language, which is sort of a combination of of uh, runes and these emotional hieroglyphs that we kind of created, um, and uh, and 
did a lot of research into different spiritual movements. Um, and I deliberately looked into spirit, spiritual movements that I found beautiful as opposed to ones that I was skeptical about. That I would say would be, would have been the most important part of the process and actually the stuff that finds its way into the film more than anything. And um, that's interesting because it, it, that is part of the ambiguity that you feel like, was this a good experience <laughs> for Tanny ultimately? <laughs> Like, yeah, because right. there is actual, there's actual catharsis, beauty and like release right, from yeah. this experience. It, it, yeah. I mean, that, that was the idea. It was to, to blur, blur the line, um, as, as thoroughly as possible while still presenting this community that, you know, they murder people. Uh, <laughs> so, um, well, as Pele says, what is it? Everyone deserves to have a family. Is that, is that, is that how he phrases it when he's trying to convince Danny to stay? Yeah. That's a really interesting line because it, it tied it back into hereditary as well. This idea of kind of forming an alternate family. Yeah. The end of hereditary, I, I also think is just kind of beautifully positive in a way, <laughs> right? They're ascending to this other plane where they're they're all, all of all of the all of the bitternesses of the of the earthbound family are gone and they can yeah start a new tradition i yeah i mean i mean the movie at that point has just gone insane and and <laughs> the the and you know the problems of real life have been replaced by you know floating women sawing their head off so it's like <laughs> it's but uh and again that's a film that i i hope there's nothing worse than a film that's like, you know, it was all a dream and, and that's certainly not what these films are. Um, it, it was very important, especially with Hereditary, that the metaphor like continue to function even as all these things are, are happening um, in the story and that they, you know, kind of, I, it, it, and so hope, you know, hopefully that, that that's the case there and I, and I, I hope that's the case here. Um, but at a certain point, I know that I, um, I, I, I have to like, let go of that stuff and then just pursue something on a more like base kind of, mm -hmm. um, less like cerebral level and just kind of go where the, where the movie w wants to go. I mean, it's all, it's all laid out and it's, it's also clear in a way, right? One, one of the great things is if you actually look at the walls, I noticed this the second time I saw it, if you look at all the walls in the, uh, in, in the loft where they're sleeping and in some of the other scenes, like the, the plot is sort of laid out for you. Right. It's all there, which is, and which makes a lot of sense. It's not like you're spoiling things for the audience, but yeah. you're in a way you're saying that um, these things are inexorable. It's fate. These things are going to happen whether you like it or not. And I what I love about this film is that it's a gradual um, journey to the thing that was going to happen all along, which also makes it seem like hereditary in a way. Yeah. Um, I, I, that, that is how I see both films, but especially this one, you know, I mean, if anybody has any, uh, any understanding whatsoever of like, you know, this genre or, you know, like the, then you know where these, you know, what's coming, you know, that this is like not going to work out for these people. And, um, and that they're going to be sacrificed. And so for me, that's the least interesting thing about the film. And, 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 and it, I, I, I really wanted to treat it as a given. And for me, there was something, at least from my perspective, there was something more disturbing about just like throwing these lives away, like almost from the very beginning, like treating it, treating them as though, which, which is what these films do. Um, like it, like it, 
these these characters are are always cattle in these films, and so by the time you see them kind of you see their cor- their corpses drips um, dressed up and and you know kind of presented in these tableaus like that that was that was inevitable we all knew that was going to come and and if anything like the the catharsis of seeing it happen like you know is is denied you and 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 you just you're left with like the fact and uh and so for me it was it was never like the goal was never to subvert um the genre but rather to kind of to like to 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 get to that destination that you have to get to um in a way that i hope feels emotionally surprising so that once you arrive there it's 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 kind of everything you've been expecting in a in a way that's kind of unadorned but then but it's but hopefully it's it's different pick up your copy of the new issue of film comet with features on quentin tarantino's once upon a time in hollywood jim jarmish interviewed by amy taubin and maddie diop's atlantics by dennis lim Plus, an ode to Doris Day by Terrence Davies, United Artists at 100, the acting partnership of Ossie Davis and Ruby D, Ari Aster on his Midsummer Inspirations, and much, much more. Support independent, nonprofit film journalism and subscribe today at filmcomment.com. I want to talk about the way that it's shot and lit as well, because I think this connects to what you're saying. I don't, I, it seems like the, the choice to make it all so bright, which is such, which is sort of a subversive idea, I think, for a horror film, if, if we're going to call it a horror film, because it's, it is about things being very clear. This movie is after the first 10 minutes, which I think are extraordinary, by the way. I think it, it, I, when I was watching it, I, I, I'm always aware, hyper aware of people coming in late to movies and this couple came in like 10 minutes after it started and sat down with their coke and I thought, you just missed everything. <laughs> How are you going to watch this movie and understand this movie? But uh, aside from the first 10 minutes, which is you know, gloomy or darker as a different color palette set in winter, um, the, the, the brightness of this film um, is perfectly in keeping with what you're saying. It's all laid out for you. There's no turning back. Everything is revealed. Um, how did you actually get this beautiful, strange, vibrant these colors and this lighting? Um, well, I mean, shooting outside every day is a nightmare. Um, you're, you're, you're chasing the sun, you're depending on weather, which is nothing to depend on. Um, and, uh, you know, continuity is a problem all the time, like distractingly so, because you, because you go home every night wondering, like, is this movie gonna work? Like, I, like is this gonna match at all? Is anything gonna match? And so there was a certain amount of control we had to give up. We were able to sort of uh, design our own lenses. Um, uh, my cinematographer, Pavel Pogorjelski, has a really good relationship with Panavision. And on both Hereditary and this, we, we, uh, we were able to design, design lenses for the film, like have them make us these custom lenses. And uh, so we, we were working large format on this film and... Um, and we we knew that we were sort of pursuing this three strip technicolor look but not the way three strip technicolor actually looks but the way you kind of imagine it looking <laughs> i if that makes any sense and so a the way lot it exists in your mind in your memory exactly um and even at the very end of the film like there's a moment where or there's a, one character's eyes are shut and we're in his perspective and then they're opened up again. When they're opened up again, I, 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 I refer to that as the, the Crayola section of the movie. Um, with all the flowers. Yeah, Beautiful. exactly. And, uh, and, uh, so a lot of that, I mean, most of that, 
I wouldn't say most of it, but a, a great deal of that was done um, in the grade uh, as we were color correcting and you know as we were in the DEI. And um, yeah, that was a, a, a very important part of the process. And we, we, we did a lot of that work before we were shooting and we had a LUT that we were um, using and putting over the image uh, on, on the monitor that we had on set so we could see kind of how that grade was interacting with what we were shooting. Did I, did I read somewhere that it, part of this, you had tested shooting this on 35 millimeter or that, or that some scenes were shot on 35 millimeter? We, we thought about it. We, we, we did a little test and then we decided to go uh, large format digital. Uh, yeah, but we thought about it. Um, and it, it, it was pretty clear pretty quickly that we didn't want to go that way. Um, given what what we wanted to do with the film yeah and then i mean yeah the ma the making of this film was just so tumultuous you know we while i was editing uh hereditary uh it 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 looked like this was going to get a green light but we were editing hereditary in the spring and it looked like we would have to shoot the film in the summer so i had to shot list the movie while i was finishing hereditary so that we could go out scouting for a field because we knew that we had to build this village in an empty field and I needed to know what the geography needed to be. So I needed to do the shot list. So then we found a field while I was finishing the film, this empty field uh, that was wild and totally uncultivated. And then we had to cultivate it and, you know, and build, build this village in two months. And so I came back to do press for hereditary. And then I went over there and we had less than two months of pre-production before we were shooting at the beginning of August. So Hereditary came out June 8th. I was in Hungary on June 9th and we were shooting first week of August. Yeah, it was really, it was, it was very hard. Something you wouldn't want to repeat going so fast from one to the other, I'm sure. Probably not. I mean, every, I was, I was, I, I joke, although it's not really a joke. I, we, every time we drove onto that set, it was like a funeral march. I was just like, <laughs> it's, it's, I, Appropriate. Just I like, suppose. what are we doing? What are we? Why? 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 Why do we do this? <laughs> I, I want to get some uh, a few questions from the audience, but um, just wanted to say, like, are you surprised at the um, the ardor with which people talk about hereditary? I hereditary has become this kind of cult sensation, I suppose, or as actually a big a big hit. But I believe that there was a screening of the film where somebody showed the hereditary tattoo to you <laughs> after seeing, saying they'd seen it nine times. How do you process having written something so <laughs> kind of profoundly sad <laughs> and, um, and um, I don't know, gut-wrenching, and then having it out in the world where people are just kind of, kind of obsessed with it? Is this thing that you even can process? I mean, I think my trick is I don't process anything, and then it just, <laughs> and then it just comes out as some like evil movie. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't been able to process anything uh, because I was thrown right into this film when that film came out. So I was aware that it was doing well, but I also didn't, I mean, like, I didn't experience that. I was hearing about it, but I was already, like, I, I was thrown from what, you know, what, what, what I, I was told was a success into this, like, imminent failure, you know? And so, and every day the water was just, like, up to my nose and up to my, my crew's nose, you know? We, like, we, it, it was really, uh, it, it, it was very hairy. We, 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 you know, we, we lost our first AD on the first day of shooting. We had to fly in a new first AD who didn't know the movie. It was just like, I mean, it just went on and on and on. And so this is the first time 
that there's been like, like things are just settling now. Um, and so I guess now is my opportunity to process it. Although I, I have a feeling I'm going to do everything I can to not do that. And so I'll just, <laughs> I'll just avoid processing. Well, despite all the hardships of the film, it, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful film. It really is. Oh, um, well, thank I don't you. think you can say that about a lot of films of this genre. So. Thank you. So, if anybody has a really good question, yes, right there. Something that I that occurred to me when I was watching Midsummer, and something that I loved from Hereditary too, uh, is the way that you create anxiety. And uh, with Midsummer, it seemed more apparent to me this recurrent use of breath in terms of just not just how characters are feeling, but also ritualistically in Midsommar, where um, uh, it's used as sort of like a instrument. And um, I wondered if that was like an intentional thing for you or um, like how to create anxiety and using breath particularly. Uh, yeah, um, that's, that's intentional. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a very anxious guy, so. I don't have to do much to like, you know, research what, like, what does it feel like to like, if you think you're going to die. Um, but I, you know, and so, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like, I'm not sure if this is the way it is for everybody, but there's like always this kind of like white noise, like underneath everything that tells me I'm doomed. Um, and so do you like that everyone laughs when you say that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, um, and so you know, I can just tap into that anytime. That's just, that's just, that's just there for me to draw from. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I, I'm glad to hear that it, 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 that, that it, it makes you anxious too. <laughs> yeah. That's the dream. Hello. Um, one thing I drew from the film, um, it was my impression that it was you know, a big metaphor and all the American men were parts of Danny's psyche that she needed to deal with in some way to heal. Uh, was that intentional? Do you agree with that impression? I like that. I, I, I like that reading. Um, I, I don't want to do anything to like throw water on that. Um, Nose okay. Not, not, not necessarily, but I, but that actually has that has occurred to me in retrospect. Like there are times I watch the film and I see it that way as well. And so, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on unconsciously as I make these films that I, I catch later on. And so like that doesn't also, that also doesn't sound like absolutely wrong to me, but it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't really on my mind until, until later, but that, that has occurred to me here and there. But I would not say that that, 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 that was something I was consciously pursuing. Hey, Ari. Hi. First of all, thank you for doing what you do. And um, I think you're a really special filmmaker. I don't think that there's anybody in American cinema right now that's making films quite like yours. So I hope you find the strength to process everything you need to and, and keep making movies because they're, they're really special. My question was about your use of long takes. That struck me, I mean, in Hereditary as well, but especially in Midsommar because I saw it recently, obviously. And um, uh, so it struck me right from the beginning, like the shot of Florence, just the, the close up when she's on the phone, how long that was, and that was recurring throughout the film. So I was curious, your standpoint as a director, what gives you the confidence 
to feel like you can hold the audience's attention for that long? Is it films like 45 Years or, or other films that do the same thing successfully? Is it your faith in the performers? Is it the production design? Is it a combination of those things? What's your mentality as far as I'm going to hold this shot for a really long time and I trust that the audience will be uh, there with me? I guess it's, it's as simple as I like that kind of filmmaking and those are the films that I enjoy. Um, and I like the idea of like seeing how efficient I can be while also like holding something. And there are, there are a lot of, you know, takes in the film that have been cut down, um, that go on for like two, three more minutes. Um, because then, you know, you, you got to go by your gut when you're actually putting the thing together. And, and there is like a, and that, and that's the risk of shooting that way. Um, I, I actually find it easier than shooting coverage. Um, I, I really don't like shooting coverage. Uh, and the reason for that is I don't really know what I'm getting until I get into the cutting room. Like you, after a while you, you, you know, you, you have it in your gut, like what will and won't, won't work. But when you do a long take, when you do this like long sustained take that maybe covers the whole scene and, and one master, you know, if you have it or not. And it drives actors nuts and it drives, I, I, I you know, I think it, it, it can dri drive the camera crew nuts, but I think it also kind of galvanizes them. And, uh, but it, and, and I think it, it can be very exciting for the crew. Why but, does it dr drive the actors nuts? I thought maybe some of them might like playing out a longer take. Because there are some takes that are ruined by the camera where they're killing it and I would have, and if, if it was being covered, that would have been it, you know, but it's not. <laughs> so, um, and so, um, and, and that, and that, and that's what happens is, is the camera crew needs time to get it and to warm up. And, and it's never like these long takes you never get on the first take, uh, because they need to like really start to feel their marks. The timing needs just to work. And, and sometimes the actors are there like ready and they, they hit their peak early on. And, and, uh, and I, part of, I, part of directing is also using your judgment about how the actors work and whether this long take is going to work for them and whether this is the scene to, to do something like that or, or, or is this the scene to pull back and put the performance first? And so, you know, that's, but, but um, I, do, I do prefer long takes because I know what I have on the day, on set, and I can walk away with confidence that I, that I've, I have it because I, I just saw it, like it, it, it worked. Especially with the lighting issues, I guess, in Horiga, that probably was well, a lifesaver. Co yeah, coverage outside was a nightmare because it, uh, there are scenes where we had to, where there are a lot of setups and, you know, the, the sun starts over here and then by the end it's over here. So the shadows go from over here to over here. And, uh, and that, that's a problem for continuity. And again, it's just when, when you're shooting outside, you have to really learn what to prioritize. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. Want to get some on this side of the room? Yeah, right here up front. Hi, Ari. How you doing? Uh, Hi. First of all, like many of all, thank you for Hereditary and uh, Midsommar. Great. Even uh, there's something wrong with the Johnsons. <laughs> Messed me up and I didn't know it was you. So uh, fantastic job. A uh, couple of questions. So a few weeks ago, I went to go see a screening of Mandy with a uh, writer, Aaron Stewart, on. And he was mentioning how uh, there are some sort of similarities between writing uh, stories and particularly horror where it's more so about getting this core story first and then seeing how this implementation of something terrible and frightening sort of carries a story and really makes it much more terrifying. And I was wondering if that's really, like, if that's really how your approach is to writing screenplays in general, but mainly horror. 
And also uh, noticed that, I read that you said that you sort of realized after making Midsommar that you'd realized that both Hereditary and Midsommar sort of uh, connected in a way. And I'd seen that both films are kind of like the polar opposite of one another. Like, uh, for example, Hereditary is dark, there's the shots really build up the tension. And yet, you know, with the contrasting with the light and all the beauty that is in uh, Midsommar, especially in the last few scenes with uh, Peter and Hereditary and Danny Midsommar, and wondering if that was sort of either unconscious, uh, you know, whilst writing and, and making the film, if you really realize, okay, well, one really takes in as the other expresses out. In the case of these films, I was sort of writing through crises and uh, genre genre can be very helpful in that it like provides you with a framework that's very like sturdy and uh, and so it allows you to take very messy feelings and emotions and then like and then it gives you a path to sort of organize them and so i guess that was my process on these two uh, i can't really I, I i don't i don't have i guess the insight to go go beyond that except for the fact that you know i wake up and i get coffee and i sit down and i procrastinate writing you know but, but, and, and, uh, i do see that they are sort of companions to each other in a lot of ways that wasn't strategic and a lot of that occurred to me in retrospect like while i was cutting this film and then there are certain things that occur to you when you finish the script and it's like oh that's cool like oh king and queen got it and and you know and oh like these are the themes and these are the themes. And I, I maybe more and more, I, I'm, I'm thinking about themes like as I'm writing, and, but, but I, I, I tend to sort of catch the themes as I'm going along. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it, it, it's, not, it's not like, th these things aren't totally accidental, but I try not to be overly cut. Yeah, exactly. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. I think we have time for one more right in the center. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, my question is, when you were writing this, would you have felt comfortable someone else directing it? Or No, I wouldn't have. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I would not have been comfortable with anybody else directing it. But, yeah, that's, that, that's certainly there. And, you know, I... I yeah, I don't really consider this a horror movie. I consider Hereditary a horror movie, but I I do like if this is a horror film, I, it's like a it's a horror it's a horror film about codependency in a way, and so and so you you know she goes really from one codependent relationship to another, right? And 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 it's like the ultimate codependent relationship. This this new thing uh, where people are mirroring each other, and you could see them as very sweet, or you could see them as kind of like weirdly vacant and and like weirdly. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm, I mean, the idea of the individual has been kind of extinguished there. And obviously she's going with a group of people who are like, who like really like live by that. Uh, they, you know, they, they, they are careerist and individualist. And, um, uh, and so, you know, I'm hoping again that, you know, it, it, it can play in, in two different ways. Um, where you know, and, and and you know that I, and that's why I was drawing from spiritual movements that I found beautiful, that I found really um, that I that, that I had actual respect for. And then at the same time, I'm kind of you know looking at certain parts of Swedish history that are kind of unseemly, that are kind of you know that are coming back, um, and not just in Sweden, all over Europe and here. And so, 
that you know and 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 there are sort of politics woven into the fabric of the film and in the margins and you know it, it was important for me that it just be kind of like texture and not like you know that we're not making a polemic in any way but you know there there are two two sides so you know uh, i already feel like i'm I, I need to go back to being cryptic but i so that's <laughs> but um well whatever you you do next we hope that you will be back yeah, to talk I'll, about I'll it. I'll always be back. You just have to, you just have to be around. Are you gonna... I'll, I'll be here. Okay. <laughs> I'll be here if you're here. Thank you very, very much for coming. Thank you. You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast with music by Greg Angie. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comet is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comet has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comet. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.